Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Green Rush Live, our regular Friday afternoon talk show that talks about the business of cannabis or the cannabis business. You just watched Gary Chambers' political ad, Gary Chambers Jr. political ad. He's running for the Senate seat in Louisiana, and he's running against a Republican named John Kennedy. Not to be, not to be you know, confused with JFK, who's no longer with us, obviously, uh, and obviously a very proud member of the Massachusetts world, which is where this show and this network resides. I'm Jimmy Young, the host of Green Rush Live, and also the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, every third Friday on this program for, gosh, I think almost a year now. Morgan Fox has joined us from Washington, D.C. Morgan was the uh, communications director for the NCIA, but he has played out his option, as they say in the sports world, and has been picked up and signed by the team from Normal, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws. So, Morgan, first of all, congratulations on your new gig. Thank you very much. Uh, it's definitely a change of pace, but uh, it's one that I felt was, uh, uh, you know, a long time in coming and being able to uh, work directly with lawmakers as opposed to uh, uh, primarily crafting messaging for reporters and working on policy behind the scenes. Uh, it's a nice change of pace to be able to be in those rooms and be able to uh, you know, convince those lawmakers directly. Absolutely. And of course, we just saw the advertisement that uh, a, a Senate candidate named Gary Chambers Jr. out of Louisiana, Democrat, uh, posted, it was this week because it kind of went off like wildfire. What was your reaction to it? I was very excited to hear a guy speak so openly about what cannabis and the role it has played in the community that has been most affected by the war on drugs. Well, first of all, I thought it was a brilliantly produced ad. Uh, it focused on some of the uh, the most important issues with prohibition, which is the uh, disproportionate uh, enforcement of marijuana laws uh, against uh, people of color and low income communities. Um, it perfectly timed into the uh, national arrest figures. I mean, across the board, it was just wonderful and very tastefully done. Uh, but I was even more excited about its reception, uh, you know. A couple of years ago, uh, such an ad might have been laughed off as part of a uh, professional uh, political campaign. And now, I mean, just won the Internet this week. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I think that it's also important to note that uh, in response to that, uh, the incumbent in the office that he's trying to get, uh, Senator Kennedy, uh, started to talk about his own cannabis policy or cannabis use. So bending the needle in any direction with an ad like that is just wonderful to see. I mean, we are really living in a different time than we were uh, just a few short years ago. Yeah. Or even months ago, really, Morgan. I mean, it's changed a lot even during the pandemic. I think now that uh, cannabis has been named an essential medicine uh, in a lot of states, other than <clears throat> the one I'm in right now, um, but um, it is it has changed. 
one of the things about this particular ad that stuck with me, and as I was reading about the voting figures in the district that um, Republican Kennedy, Senator Kennedy, which sounds so weird for me to say that. I'm sorry. I'm from Massachusetts, you know. Um, and there was another Senator Kennedy that followed JFK that, that was hung, hanging around the center for a long time, too, the late Teddy Kennedy. But um, the point being, the percentage of voters in that district and how low the turnout was for the election of the now incumbent Senator Kennedy in the Senate. Did you happen to see those pro, uh, projections? Or actually, they were real figures, real facts about the turnout for voting during that last election. Well, I didn't see the numbers directly, but uh, typically in uh, throughout the South, uh, voter turnout is pretty bad, and particularly among uh, communities of color, uh, largely as a, sort of a holdout from Jim Crow, uh, where people were threatened and even murdered for showing up to vote. Um, and that sort of thing has a decades long impact. And also when you feel like your elected representatives aren't actually representing you, uh, what's the point, right? So, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, uh, the purpose of this ad as uh, stated by uh, Senate candidate uh, Chambers and hopefully future Senator Chambers uh, in using it to drive voter turnout, I think was absolutely perfect. And something that's greatly needed, particularly when we're talking about cannabis, you know, we absolutely have to get the folks that are being most impacted by our drug laws to get out and vote in people that are going to change them. And of course, we could get into the voting rights question that has been completely victimized by the um, bipartisan world that's down in Washington, D.C. And Morgan, I guess the first question to ask you is it, it's almost hazardous duty to be a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. for cannabis, you know, although these days, at least it's being more, you're being more receptive. People are more receptive, correct? In general, yes. Um, you know, we, we don't get the door slammed in our face uh, anymore. And uh, really what I've been uh, trying to relay to uh, uh, members of Congress, uh, you know, since I basically have started this new role and talking to, uh, to members of Congress much more directly than I used to, is that, you know, this train is leaving the station um, and you don't want to be somebody who doesn't have a ticket and is trying to toss their like polka dot bundle onto the, uh, the boxcar at the end of the train. And you certainly don't want to be the guy that's pretending the train isn't coming and standing on the tracks. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's another reason why in state governments, uh, coast to coast around the United States and in places they're looking to reform, some of these reform initiatives are being introduced by Republican senators, state senators in their states. And the only challenge, the only thing that I'm encouraged by is, do they know the numbers of the U.S. senators? Because <laughs> they should call them and explain to them why it's important to move forward. Oh, they absolutely should. And you can definitely do that directly to your uh, House and Senate representatives at normal.org. Uh, but we're also seeing uh, a lot more movement on the Republican side in uh, in Congress as well. Um, I mean, that's clearly evident from uh, the fact that David Joyce introduced a uh, uh, basically a state's rights bill. And then uh, Representative Mace introduced a descheduling bill, uh, you know, that was pretty solid and I think could have a, a significant amount of bipartisan support if more uh, comprehensive legislation like the Moore Act or uh, eventually the CAOA, if we ever see what that looks like, uh, it actually uh, comes to pass or is 
determined to not be able to pass because of, uh, you know, partisan bickering. But uh, I mean, look at all the recent polling. Uh, Pew and Gallup and uh, Quinnipiac have all shown that Republicans are now in a majority support for ending prohibition. It's a slim majority, but it's growing. And that majority is much, much higher when you look at the younger age demographics and people that are going to be running the Republican Party in 5, 10, 15 years. So um, you can also just look at constituent polling. Um, when you look at the fact that uh, there's a majority support among uh, basically across party lines for this issue, uh, any politician that is trying to increase their chances of reelection should get wholeheartedly behind this issue. Uh, at the very least, it's not going to hurt them. It's going to give them a little bit of a bump in the polls come election day, no matter what party they're in. Um, if they decide to be champions and leaders of this issue, uh, it can actually increase their polling numbers and their chances for re-election much, much more. And I think that that's a message that we really need to be sending to politicians, both you know folks like me who are lobbyists and showing them the numbers, but also voters actually voting along these lines and making cannabis a priority issue. Now, you mentioned the CAO Act that is still simmering somewhere in the uh, offices of Senator Chuck Schumer. Um, Senator Cory Booker is another co-sponsor of that bill. Did you happen to get any reaction from him? Did you hear anything uh, when he saw that ad? I'm guessing he, he embraced it. He was thrilled. Uh, I haven't heard anything about his reaction from that. Uh, you know, I would hope that he would be thrilled. Um, He's been waving the flag for injustice and, and expungement of past crimes at, in that uh, news conference that was out there. And, you know, even to the point where he said, you know, I don't want to just pass a safe banking act. I want people out of jail who have been incarcerated for possession crimes and certainly nonviolent cannabis crimes. You know, we've discussed this before on this show. Uh, you know, I completely agree that you know, in a perfect world, we should try to get everything passed at once. But the political reality is that that's not going to happen. The votes are just not there for comprehensive cannabis policy reform in the Senate. Um, you know, I am working very hard to make sure that they are. Uh, but the history of cannabis policy reform has been incrementalism. And the fact of the matter is that the Safe Banking Act and other incremental measures uh, will help the people that have been disproportionately harmed by prohibition. Uh, you know, they're not perfect. They could stand to be improved quite a bit. But we have to deal with the political reality of a, uh, a bipartisan uh, Senate that is really right on a razor's edge and also deal with the reality that uh, one, if not both chambers of Congress are going to switch to GOP control in uh, the next uh, uh midterms. So, uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that we can do to help uh, promote the ideas that Senator Booker is uh, is focused on uh, and to make the incremental measures as strong as possible, uh, given these political realities, as well as a, a lot of non-governmental things that we can do, uh, such as like independent watchdog groups to make sure that banks are uh, lending in a, a fair, non-discriminatory or non-predatory manner to uh, cannabis businesses um, and, and a number of other things that, that, that we can promote. I mean, there there may be opportunities for us to be able to uh, marginally improve the Safe Banking Act, uh, but it, half of nothing is nothing. And our, our time is uh, is running short to be able to pass any sort of cannabis policy reform in uh, this session of Congress. Yeah, absolutely. The time, the clock is ticking and uh, I'm not overly confident about what's going to happen in the midterms. 
Um, but even at the state's level, um, there was some movement uh, this week in the in the state of Mississippi that uh, seems to be getting closer and closer to getting a bill in front of that governor uh, down there. Do you expect that to pass? And will Mississippi become the 37th medical medicinal marijuana state in the United States? I do. And it looks as if the vote counts are such that they're pretty much veto proof. Um, you know, the uh, the governor has been objecting uh, to the bill on a number of things, but primarily on the amount that cannabis patients are allowed to purchase. And uh, uh, it's a really ridiculous, arbitrary amount that's like less than an eighth. And there's absolutely no reason for that. But it seems to be a sticking point with that governor. And so, uh, you know, the fact that the legislature just decided, hey, uh, you know, we are going to push this through no matter what. Um, and over your objections, I think, is, uh, is really profound and speaks to the uh, uh, elected officials in that state recognizing the, uh, the suffering that, uh, that their residents are, uh, are under right now and uh, really responding in a way to help them find relief. Uh, it's not as good as the initiative that the citizens pass and that should rightly be law by now, uh, but it's a lot better than what the governor was trying to force the legislature into agreeing to. So uh, I'm going to call that a win. And I think that we can uh, almost certainly count on that being the, uh, the 37th medical cannabis state. Cool. That's a good number, too. Uh, in incremental steps. I heard somebody talk about that. And I think that's what's going on in, in Mississippi. Can you tell us a little bit about your new gig? I mean, obviously, dealing with the media versus dealing with politicians, Morgan, and you decided to go to the dealing with the politician side. Uh, the media will miss you because I thought you did a great job as director of communications for the NCIA. Uh, you always gave great quotes in any article. You were obviously on this program on a regular basis, and we appreciate that. Tell us about how your job focus and your day has changed since you went from the NCIA to normal. Well, first of all, I, I really appreciate the kind words, Jimmy. Um, but when it comes down to it, whether you're dealing with reporters or members of Congress, it's all about relationships and sending the right message. Uh, so in a sense, that really hasn't changed. It's just the people that I'm talking to has changed. And I'll still be doing plenty of uh, media uh, interaction going forward. But um, really, I think that the, uh, the big change is that I'm uh, now primarily focused on uh, the things that I used to talk about <laughs> to members of the media, uh, actually doing them now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, there are definitely challenges, uh, you know, whereas reporters might stay on the cannabis beat for uh, years, if not decades, uh, there are, uh, there's a significant amount of turnover in congressional offices. So I might be talking to different people uh, a month from now than I am today. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really was looking for a, a, a different challenge. I've been doing communications work for uh, over a decade in uh, support of ending cannabis prohibition, and I wanted to get my hands dirty in uh, the seats of power. So I got the opportunity to do that, and uh, I decided to take it. Great. Well, congratulations on that. And I, I hope you got a huge raise, okay? I have no idea because lobbyists, you know, but I hope that at least... Uh, you're more comfortable now than you were before. Uh, I'm just more comfortable with uh, the amount of time I get to spend with my kids. Uh, but you know, wages are comparable. The, the one thing that is pretty much a commonality across all of cannabis policy reform is that it's massively underfunded. And, you know, these are, I think a lot of people make the mistake that the folks that work at nonprofits like NCIA or Normal or NPP or DPA are raking in all sorts of dough. Not the case. 
the people that work for these organizations are working their butts off for way lower wages than what you see in pretty much any other nonprofit sphere or in any other industry. Uh, so I really encourage your listeners to donate to those organizations uh, to increase their effectiveness and to make sure that the people that are putting their blood, sweat and tears into this effort are uh, uh, fairly compensated for it and can live semi-comfortable lives, uh, oftentimes in some of the most expensive cost of living cities in the world. Uh, absolutely. And did you get like a foot of snow down there recently? It was pretty bad. <laughs> I know they don't do well with snow in the, anywhere in the South. And I know D.C., everything just shuts down. Am I right? Oh, yeah, completely. We don't do that closed, in the Northeast. We don't do that in the Northeast. We're kind of used to that. It makes us hardy New Englanders and all that. And um, lastly, before you go, I do want to tease um, everybody out there who watches this show on a regular basis. This will be the end of the political talk for this show because we're going to be talking with growers, growers of cannabis. And, you know, it's one of the things that I've kind of not, yeah, I've shied away from it because I've got a black thumb. I'm afraid to kill a plant. A plant is a living thing. And that's a lot of responsibility. I already raised my son. Okay. I had help with that, but still I raised my son and, you know, I don't need another living thing in my life that I feel responsible for. So I commend all the growers that are going to be on our show. We're actually starting a new program called Calling All Growers with Liz Grow from Grow House Media. She's out of Austin, Texas. And I just noticed that Austin, Texas is making some cannabis reforms as well. So that's what's ahead of us. Morgan, thank you again. You are welcome here, not only the third Friday of every month, but anytime you need the audience. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And Hopefully, uh, I can uh, get onto that grower section as well. I'm about to uh, put my uh, tiny uh, legal home grow uh, into harvest, and hopefully it'll be fire. Well, I guarantee you will learn something from the, the lineup that we have coming on this program over the next 90 minutes or so. So, Morgan Fox, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us here. We're going to take our 420 break right on the nose, I might add. And that is, of course, when we play the song Shanty, which was my version of the Louis Pasteur statue outside the high school in San Rafael, California, where the Waldos created the 420 event. Don't go away. The Grow Show preview starts in just a few minutes. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Thank you.
Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabisMedia. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.